0: 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 to 18, hear the word of the Lord. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. In my last uh, trip to Puerto Rico, another elder who was down there for a special service in one of the churches down there, he and I got to the airport plenty of time. We got there quite early. We went to the assigned gate. And we were waiting, and so I started doing, I don't know, reading or email or so, and I wasn't really paying attention, just waiting and waiting. And then finally he says, why is there no one here at this gate? And so we, we looked around, and we found one of those boards, and we were, I don't know, we were at like A13, and we said, oh, it's changed. It's A11. I thought, oh, a couple gates over, not, no big deal. Then we found that A11 was in another terminal. <laughs> not sure why. So we took off running, and we ran through that airport. And as we were coming up, we said, oh, the plane's still there. This is great. But the doors had already closed. And so we come up to the gate, and they say, sorry, too late. You arrived late. I was like, well, we were where you told us to be. It doesn't matter. There are no arguments that can get that that door back open. It doesn't matter. We arrived late. And you've had experiences like that, if not in airports. You've had the experience of, of arriving late and missing out. Maybe you got late to the party and and all the goodies were gone, or you got late to the the event and you had to sit in the back and you couldn't see what was going on. Uh, There was a limited supply of something. You arrived late. Too bad. You're out. You arrived late. You miss out. Well, that was the concern. One of the concerns in the church in Thessalonica, that some of their members would arrive late and miss out. And, and the specific concern had to do with those who had already died. Christians had died since the, the missionaries had been there and started the church, and then the missionaries were driven out violently. And Well, actually, they were ushered out by their, by their friends and brothers and sisters to avoid being driven out violently. And they had taught about the coming of Christ, but then there was this, this concern, well, what about those who die before Christ come, comes back will will they miss out will they be late to the party uh, because they're sleeping will they will they not get there in time and that was just the concern that we have here and in this text these verses are to are to, to comfort them to explain more that they hadn't had time to explain before they got driven out about about what will happen with those who are Uh, still alive at the time when the Lord comes or those who have already died at that time. And it wasn't that they were misinformed. It just was that they were uninformed because the missionaries didn't have enough time. And so if you look at verse 13, it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, uh, uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. Now, asleep is just a, a polite way of saying that they had died. We talk about, we use things like that. We say, oh, well, so-and-so passed away or passed on or rested or something like that. And so that's, that's what this means. These, these, these believers had died and Jesus had not yet come back. So we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So it looks like perhaps Timothy brought back word to the missionaries, Paul and Silas, who were waiting for news about the state of the missionary, or, or the, the church, and they may have brought back news about excessive grief, grief that perhaps their, their loved ones who had passed on in the Lord, that, that they, were, they were somehow going to miss out because they weren't going to be alive when Jesus came back. Now, the authors didn't say, we don't want you to grieve. They said, we don't want you to grieve without hope. So they don't, they don't say you can't grieve. They say, don't grieve without hope. And if, if you look, it says, as others do, who have no hope. Now, there have been and constantly are weak efforts throughout history and, and to this day to try to find hope for those who have died. If you have been to, to funerals, you will find that sometimes there are desperate efforts in those funerals to try to find some reason for hope uh, for the person who has passed on, but this characterization is really generally true about those outside the Christian faith. There is no hope because there is no solid ground for hope. Uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter two uh, verse twelve, he described. The, the situation of the world. And he said, remember that you were at that time, prior to knowing Christ, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And that's generally true of this world. While their efforts to come up with hope, it's generally hopeless, particularly in the light of death. There were some quotations from antiquity that I found someone, Theocritus, he was a Greek writer, ancient Greek writer. He simply wrote this, hopes are for the living, without hope are the dead. And then a Roman writer, uh, Catullus, the sun can set and rise again, but once our brief light sets, we must sleep a never-ending night. And there was a popular tomb inscription, both on Greek and Latin tombs of the day, that was so well known that they could just use the first letters, initials. I guess it cost a lot to, to inscribe those, and so they would just put the initials on the tombs. And this is, this is what many tombs said. I was not, and I was, I am not, and I care not. <laughs> How's that a, for a cheery thing to be written on your your tomb. But it was so popular that it was just the, the initials and everybody knew what it meant. I wasn't, and I was. I'm not. I don't care. So that's, that's really how the situation is out there. Now, death is a terrible event, and, and they are not minimizing it. It is a terrible event. It is an invasor, uh, invader. It is something which should not be. It should not be. And it tears apart relationships, and it leaves huge holes in people's lives so it's a terrible thing and of course we will grieve when death takes away one of our loved ones however for Christians and that's that's the point of this text for Christians there are two strong reasons for hope and uh, there is there is this question of hope in a subjective sense our experience of hope and then there is the the meaning of hope as an objective thing the ground of our hope. And Christians have an objective ground for hope so that we can have that experience of hope. I was listening to a podcast uh, some time ago, a British podcast, BBC podcast, and it it was about hope. And it's, they always, they, they have these three experts that come in and talk about some topic. And they were talking about hope that day. And there was, during this conversation, the, the interviewer is, is somebody who seems to know more about everything than any human being should be allowed to know, but he's a brilliant guy, and he's done his homework, and he's interviewing these experts on hope, and these are university professors, and they're, they're kind of mildly dismissive of, of religious hope, and they're kind of chuckling a little bit about that, but the reality was these experts kept coming back to this fact that they couldn't get away from. If there is no objective ground for hope outside of us, then there is no good reason to have any hope inside of us. It is wishful thinking only. And they just kept coming back to that and back to that. But here what we have are objective reasons outside of us. Not just simply, I wish, I hope something because I want it to be, but rather there are reasons, and there are two reasons given here. The first reason is in verse 14. The first reason is an implication of the basic Christian belief. It says this in verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So there is the basic Christian confession. This statement is the essence of the gospel, if somebody says, look, you have, you have two seconds to tell me what the gospel is. This is a good summary. Jesus died and rose again. Jesus died and rose again. It's a historical statement. It is not something that happened inside of us. It is something that happened outside of us. It is something that happened in history. What's the gospel? Summary, Jesus died and rose again. And this sounds very much like an early Christian creed, early Christian creed creeds are are, are summary statements of what we believe. Some of you may be familiar with the Apostles' Creed, so-called, or the Nicene Creed. And what do these creeds start with? I believe. They are summary statements of the Christian faith. And, And this is interesting because here in verse 14, it says, it starts with the formula, we believe. So it sounds like a public confession, we believe. It sounds like they're quoting an early creed. And then it's interesting that the words here are not the words that Paul normally uses for the, for, um, for to refer to the Lord and also the word for to rise again. And so it sounds like it's something that he received that he didn't make up. So it's a different word than he usually uses for, for to rise. And he normally doesn't call Jesus, Jesus. He calls him the Lord Jesus Jesus. He calls him Jesus Christ, he calls him Christ Jesus, but it's it's very uncommon in Paul to, to refer to the Lord as simply Jesus. So this looks like a creed that they were quoting. And it says, remember folks, what is our basic creed? It is Jesus died and Jesus rose. Now, we would probably expect that the authors would then say what Paul writes elsewhere, and that is because Jesus died. And Jesus rose, we who also will die, we will what? We will rise. But they jump over that fact. That, that Paul em- uh, emphasizes that, let's say, in 1 Corinthians 15. Also, in, um, in 1 Corinthians 6.14, he simply says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. We would probably expect them to say that, but it looks like they already said that when they were there. And so they jump over that, and they they bring out an implication of that. So what is our creed? We believe that Jesus died and Jesus rose. And you already know that that means that we too will rise. And so now they spell out the implication that gets at the concern of the Thessalonians. What's that implication? Verse 14, for since we believe outside of us, Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. What is presupposed there? If he will bring them with him, what has he already done? He has raised them from the dead. So he's assuming that they understand that Jesus, when he comes, will raise the dead in Christ and he will bring them with him. That's the the first implication. In other words, they won't miss out, folks. They will not be late to the party. They will not continue to sleep when, when things start happening. Rather, they will be there. That's the first argument for hope. The second reason for hope, in verse 15, is not because of a, a creed, but because of a word from the Lord. Verse 15, for we, this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Now, a big debate in academia swirls about what is this word from the Lord because what follows you can't find it anywhere in the gospels so you can't find a word from the Lord that says exactly this and rather than going through all of the options that have have taken up many many pages of debate I'll just I'll just cut to the quick and to the to the the heart of it and that is I think the best option is this it looks like this is a loose translation of teaching of Jesus a loose translation and then an application of it to the Thessalonian situation. Specifically, it looks like verse 16 is a loose translation of teaching that we do find in the gospels on the lips of Jesus. Verse 16 says, "For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. That you can find that teaching, you can piece that together from different parts of the gospel. For example, if you look at Matthew 24, you have the clouds, you have the angels, you have the trumpets. If you look at uh, John 5, that I'll read in a little bit, John 5, verses 25 to 29, you have the voice and you have the resurrection. So if you put those teachings of Jesus together... You have the summary statement that we have in verse 16. And then it looks like verse 15 and verse 17, those are commentaries on that basic teaching of Jesus. Are you with me? Okay, so you're ahead of many scholars, okay? Who continue to debate this. Where'd this come from? Okay? It came from Jesus. And now the the the, the teachers, the, the missionaries, are are teaching on the basis of that. So what's the what's the implication here? We declare this to you. Uh, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, now we've already dealt with whom? We've dealt with those who have fallen asleep. It says, we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. So, you're worried about them being last in line? Guess what? They're first in line. Okay, don't worry about them. We will not precede them. They are in an advantageous position and we who are still alive at that time, whenever that time is, we will not precede them. Uh, they will be actually first in line. And then there's the verse 16: the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. And here what we have, we have um, we have three steps. We have the descent from heaven in verse 16, and notice that it's a very noisy descent, very noisy. Okay, this is not not secret. This is not quiet. This is, this is a ruckus, okay? There are, there are three, uh, three noisy elements here. We have a shout in verse 16. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout of command, a cry of command. And it looks like that's the Lord himself crying. It looks like that's the Lord himself shouting out. And there is teaching from Jesus about that. If you go to John chapter 5. Verse 25, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. And then verse 29, it says, those will come out, uh, rather 28, um, no, uh, let's see, uh, 29, okay, and they will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So we have the Lord shouting a command. You remember he did that? When he was on earth and his friend Lazarus had died. Do you remember he went to the tomb? And what did he do? He cried out. And to whom did he speak? To a dead man. He spoke to a dead man and said, Lazarus, come out. And what did Lazarus do? He came out. And that's a a trial run. Jesus says, when he comes again, he will shout to everybody And everybody will come out. So that's the first thing. The second is the accompanying voice of the archangel. And archangel, we don't have a lot of information about archangels. There's not much in scripture about that. But it means chief messenger. So he will be accompanied by the chief messenger. And the chief messenger will be be making noise as well. So we will have Jesus giving a shout of command. We will have the chief messenger also uh, 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 raising his voice. And then, to make it noisier still, there will be the trumpet of God. So verse 16, uh, with a cry of command, the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. Now, we just finished a series on Exodus, and there are trumpets in Exodus. And normally in the scripture, uh, in Exodus we find it, Uh, We find it all the way back into Revelation. The trumpet shows up a bunch there. If you look at 1 Corinthians 15, the the trumpet, we sang about the trumpet today. Trumpets were not generally used for musical instruments. They were used for announcements. They were used for proclamations. They were used to announce the presence of God and the the coming of a great day. Uh, And so that's what the trumpet is doing here as in Exodus, as in the the prophets, as in Revelation. So this is a noisy descent. And then it says, verse 16, the second phase. The Lord descends from heaven, first phase, first step. Second is the dead in Christ will rise. In what order? First. First. Not second, first. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then the next stage, 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Then what's the third stage? The resurrected believers and those who are still living at the time will be snatched up. That's the word. It's snatched up to meet Jesus in the clouds. And here again we have, do you remember Exodus? Clouds. What did clouds indicate? Remember when Moses went up on top of the mountain and he was enveloped in a... Cloud, and then at the end of Exodus, when the when the tabernacle was constructed, and they stood back, and what happened? It was filled with a cloud. You remember when they uh, they were led out of the wilderness by day, the Lord's presence was there as a cloud. And here again, we have the trumpet announcing God's presence. Here we have the clouds where we are to meet the Lord. Now, the details of this are vague. And you will find that people fill in the details in different ways and sometimes are, in my mind, a bit too confident in their own reconstructions of this. The details are vague, but the language here suggests two things about the meeting the Lord in the air. The first is this. The powers of evil will be completely vanquished. The powers of evil will be completely vanquished. Um, If you go back to Ephesians 2, this time to verse 2. Uh, Paul wrote this. It talks about your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So Paul, in some way, assigns the air, the realm of the air, to the prince of the power of the air, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's his region in the air. That is his domain. But it says here, we are going to meet the Lord in the air. And what is happening in the air? The Lord is giving commands in the air. The, the chief messenger is raising his voice in the air. The, the trumpet of God is sounding in the air. It looks like this has been a, a wipeout for the prince of the power of the air, that Jesus is now in command of, of that region that temporarily had been had handed over to this malevolent force. And so it looks like that, that this is an indication that the, the powers of evil will be completely vanquished. Another implication of the language here is this. Believers who meet the Lord in the air, both groups, those who had died, those who are still alive, meet the Lord in the air. It looks like this is a, a reception party that meets the Lord partway To escort him on the rest of his journey. To escort him on the rest of his journey all the way to earth. Uh, It's a semi-technical expression here, and we see a couple times in the New Testament that it's used exactly in this way. If you go back to a parable that Jesus told, Matthew 25, verse 6, it talks about the the foolish virgins and the, the wise virgins, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come And then in verse 6, it says, but at midnight there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Come out to meet him. It's the same expression. And what do they do? They go out to meet him and then do what? Escort him to the wedding feast. We find that also. Do you remember Paul? Uh, He was imprisoned in Jerusalem. A couple years later, he was then sent to Rome to stand before Caesar. And he's getting close to Rome. In Acts chapter 28, verse 15, and we read this, the same expression. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Apius and three taverns to meet us. So they went out of the city and they went, uh, then they, they went out to meet the dignitary, Paul in this case, and they escorted him back into the city. And this was the common practice when a, when a personage would arrive at a city. The citizens of the city would go out to meet him and then accompany him. So it looks like that's what's going on here, although it's, 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 not, it's not described in that way, but the language suggests that very strongly, that both groups together— Will meet the Lord in the, the now vanquished region of the air, and they will escort the conquering king all the way to the earth. Now what is clear is this? What is clear is this: Because of all this, we will always be with the Lord. We will always be with the Lord. Whether we live, whether we die, we're okay, and not only okay, when He comes, we will be with Him and. We will be with him always and forever. And then the the final verse is is the only direct instruction in this section, and it's this. Encourage each other. Encourage one another with these words. Now, this is, in fact, what Christians do for each other, isn't it? You have lost loved ones. You will lose loved ones. One day your loved ones will lose you. And what do we do in those situations? We encourage each other. And how do we encourage each other? We encourage each other with hope that is not based on feelings within ourselves but which stirs up feelings of hope in ourselves. We point to things outside of ourselves. We point to Jesus. We point to the fact that he died, that he rose, and that he's coming again. At their best, this is what Christian funerals do. That's why we have them. Christian funerals are to encourage each other. Now, lately, I have found in the funerals that I attend, even for believers, uh, since I've returned to the States, they're not exactly funerals. They're called celebrations of life. And, and sometimes they seem kind of odd to me, at least, because they tend to shoot over the fact that somebody died. And they say, let's just celebrate this person's life. Kind of like we're not going to think about death. We're just going to celebrate this person's life. And that's part of the reason for a funeral. To give thanks to God for this person's life. But that's not the ground of our hope. And, and, and if, we, if we shoot over death and act as if, if nothing had happened, then we're robbing ourselves of the opportunity to grieve. And we're also ignoring the great hope that we have. Because the hope doesn't make sense unless unless something tragic has happened there. And so sometimes those funerals focus on heaven. So may they focus on the person's life, which is appropriate. And sometimes they focus on our hope of heaven, that is being with the Lord immediately after death. But even that sells things short. You see, the Christian's ultimate hope is not some existence apart from our bodies in heaven that that is a hope but that's not the ultimate hope the hope is if we go back to the creed we believe in the resurrection of the body and that is our hope you see the christian's comfort is not merely that the dead believer's life was worthwhile even though it was The Christian's comfort is not merely that the believer is immediately with Christ at the moment of death, even though he or she is. The Christian's comfort is that the believer will come with Christ when he comes again. Why? Because Christ will have raised him or her up from the dead. Our common use of the word snatch, or one common use of the word snatch, we still use it this way, Back in the day, New Testament times, a common word for the, the word, uh, use of the word snatch was with reference to death. And, and we understand that. The expression was that so-and-so was snatched away from us. And we still talk like that, don't we? Especially when the death seems to be untimely. And really, death almost always seems to be untimely, doesn't it? Because, because it, it, it shouldn't ever happen. And so it always, it catches us by surprise. Sometimes there's an element of relief if there's a lot of suffering to it but, it, but it always disturbs us and always feels like somebody violently, and this is a violent word, snatched away from us. We know this feeling as we've lost loved ones. It feels like they have been violently snatched away from us. But I want you to see how, how this word of violence and of harm, how, how Jesus took it over. And used it for for our benefit. If you go back to John, once again, in chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus says this, you remember the voice? Back it up to 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So he takes this word and says, no one can snatch my people out of my hand. No one can snatch my people out of the father's hand. In fact, if anybody's going to do snatching around here, it's Jesus. Because it says he will descend and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who remain and those who have been resurrected will be snatched up to, be, to meet the Lord in the air. And so be with the Lord forever. Another way to put it is this. This is the Christian hope. We can ask the question this way. This is the Christian hope. In the end, who's going to do the snatching? Who will snatch whom it won't be death that snatches us from Jesus. It will be Jesus that snatches us from death. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you that in the end Jesus is going to do all the snatching. That no one can snatch us from his hand. No one can snatch us from your hand, O oh God. If we are in Christ, that we are safe. And we also have a hope outside of ourselves to comfort ourselves and to comfort each other. In that moment when people get snatched away from us temporarily, Lord, enable us to comfort each other because no one can snatch your people out of your hand. And we thank you for that great hope we have and that great comfort that we have. Jesus died, Jesus rose. Although we will die, we will rise as well And we will meet him in the air and so be with him forever. Comfort our hearts, O God, whenever we're grieving. May we grieve, but only in hope. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.